were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 2, 20-26. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. He is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We serve a resurrected Savior. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to um, 26. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully somebody has passed one to you already. I'm not sure what's pa- what page is on, but peep on over and somebody will let you know. Today I have the, the privilege of preaching in the ongoing sermon series around you all's uh, church, you all's confident hopes. Um, the confident hopes of this church are 16 values drawn from the Bible that the Lord wants to use to shape this congregation into the image of Christ and set it on mission for his glory. And uh, one of the confident hopes is the pursuit of holiness and humility. And that is my topic for today. Now, your pastors gave me the option of which, uh, which confident hope to preach on. And uh, let me tell you, I don't know why I chose holiness and humility. <laughs> holiness and humility might always be one of the toughest topics to preach on because inevitably every time I leave studying the topic, I feel like a hypocrite. That's far too sinful and far too prideful to preach on the subject So please know that as I'm preaching to you and praying that God would spur you on to holiness, I'm also preaching to myself. And so would you all pray with me as we ask God's Lord's, the Lord's blessing on our time. Again, Lord God, we ask that you will write your word on our heart. Remove all distractions. Do not let Satan get any victory uh, this morning. Let the seed be planted on good soil. Grant good heart so that fruit would be, um, will grow into your glory. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write this letter to Timothy in order to encourage him in the ministry. Timothy was a young uh, pastor, minister, who was beginning to experience suffering during the ministry. 
He probably had internal struggles because of his young age. He definitely had external struggles uh, due to false teachers that had rose up within the church and who were spreading lies. And then on top of that, he uh, knew, probably knew that this was the last time he was going to hear from his spiritual father, Paul. Paul was in Rome ready to be executed for declaring the gospel boldly. And so all of this is swirling inside of Timothy. And ministry is hard for Timothy. Timothy is, in a sense, suffering. So Paul writes this letter to charge Timothy to suffer well. Now, if we're honest, one of the hardest things to maintain while in the midst of suffering is our holiness. And when I say holiness, I'm referring to uh, actions, thoughts, emotions that conform to God's rules and to God's laws. Talking about obedience to God for the glory of God. And it's hard to be obedient when life becomes difficult. This is typically how it is. Now, if, if you think I'm lying, ask one of the godliest women you know the thoughts that was going through her head or the words that were coming out of her mouth while she was 10 centimeters dilated. <laughs> Holiness is hard when life gets hard. Have you noticed that the desires to sin seems to come crashing upon us when trials and tribulations occur? When do you most often feel like speaking harshly to someone? When do you find it the easiest to complain? When is it easier to doubt? When do you justify? When do we tend to justify ourselves from pulling back from the church or back from things that we know we ought to be doing? And oftentimes when life is very difficult and when we are going through suffering. And Paul wants Timothy to maintain his right doctrine and to maintain his holiness while he is in the midst of the pain. Now, there are many biblical reasons why a person, why a Christian ought to pursue holiness. And one of the reasons that is often overlooked that we're going to see today is that holiness has a bearing on our usefulness. So let's look at the relationship between holiness and usefulness, uh, starting in verses 20 to 22. Follow along as I read. <clears throat> now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Stop right there. The teaching begins with an illustration, an illustration of about a great house with two different types of vessels of, or instruments or tools or utensils. Some of the vessels, like those that which are gold or silver, are used for more honorable tasks. Let's say like carrying wine to a wedding feast for a king. That's an honorable task. It's noble. Then you have other vessels those which are wood and clay that are more for dishonorable tasks. Let's say carrying baby poop to the trash bin. 
Now, the main point is not to distinguish honorable tasks from dishonorable tasks. There is uh, honor in carrying baby poop. I hope so, because I do that often these days with three little ones. The point of the illustration is not to highlight the honorable task, but it's to highlight the kind of instruments used for the each task. Now, if you had the option to use a very expensive bowl, bowl or a cheap bowl to carry um, out waste, what would you use? And on the flip side, if you're hosting a dinner for your future in-laws, or those you want to be your future in-laws, you will not use the red plastic cups and the white paper plates if you want them to be your in-laws. You would use things that are more honorable, that show respect. We get the illustration. Now, based upon the principle that you use honorable vessels for honorable tasks. So what? Therefore, what? Now look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The Apostle Paul now takes the illustration and applies it to spiritual things. Who is the master? The master is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who by his mouth decreed everything to occur before time began, and who by his invisible hand of providence makes all things happen in real time for his glory to the point where not even a sparrow falls without him knowing it or directing it. The Lord is the one who sustains all things and directs all things to its end for his glory. The Lord God is the ruler and master over all things at all times, in every place. And he has been that in every age. And not only is he the mighty ruler, he is the holy ruler. He is holy in that he is pure and there is no darkness or sin in him at all, not even a smidgen. He is holy that he is high and lifted up, and there is no one beside him. He's in a class all, he's in a class all by himself, and he is exalted above the heavens. He is holy in that all he does is for his glory. The master of the house is the holy Lord God. Now, what is the house? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we learn that the Paul says that the house is the household of God. He says one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He also says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, verse 19. He, tells the, the church, he tells them that they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of of God. The house of God is the church, and the church is not a physical building. It's a spiritual building that, that's made up of people that have been saved by the blood of Jesus, people who have been adopted into the holy family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who claim that the holy ruler over all things has been set apart and as Lord over their hearts. 
The church is the holy house of God. And it's holy because it's been set apart unto God. The church's people who have been chosen, called, redeemed, set free, delivered, ransomed, purchased, brought into fellowship with the Lord. That's the first step in pursuing holiness. The first step in pursuing holiness is to remember that if you have turned from your sins and if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then by definition you are holy because you belong to him. You're holy because you're his. In the book of Corinthians, when Paul writes to this church who is, that's full of sinners and they're acting immorally and immaturely, and with immaturity, he starts out by calling them saints. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In Colossians 3.10, when Paul tells the church to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, he tells them to remember that they are God's chosen ones, beloved and holy. One of the first steps, again, in pursuing holiness is realizing and remembering that if you have, if you have been saved and brought to God through Jesus Christ, if you've made Jesus your Lord, that means you are you are his vessel in his house. And the fact that you're in his house, that means that you belong to him. And that makes you holy. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Sometimes we got to remind ourselves that we're holy. We have to call each other saints. I know we like to call each other sinners, and we often remind each other that we're sinners. But Paul often called sinners, still called those sinners, saints. Because in spite of their failures, the fact that they belong to God still made them holy by nature. That's their new nature. So now what's the point of, of all this cleansing talk if we, by nature, are holy? Well, I'm glad you asked. But when you're saved, your new nature, you, you're now holy, but with that nature, it's still important for that holy nature, that, that new you, who you are, to be developed. Every baby is a human by nature, but that baby still has to grow up to be an adult. A girl is a female by nature, but that female must transition from being a female girl to becoming a female strong woman. And that's what the pursuit of holiness does. As we pursue holiness, as we cleanse ourselves, it's just us trying to be, walk into the maturity of what we already are. growing up to be the holy people that God has already made us and called us to be. 
And, and Paul gives us a, a wonderful promise as we seek to pursue holiness. Look at the next part of the verse. It says, if anyone, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If anyone cleanses himself, they will be a vessel for honorable use. They will be set apart as holy. They will be useful to the master. They will be ready to be used by God, ready for every good work. This is a remarkable promise for people who, are, who choose to commit themselves to holiness and choose to, to begin to purify themselves and cleanse themselves. God will treat them as holy, and then he will, they will be ready to be used by him, by the master. Now, some of you have some bad bosses. Some of you are some bad bosses. But forget that part. Some of you have bad bosses. Some of your bosses are just downright mean. That's not the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says the Lord is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Some of your bosses don't have a clue about who you are and really don't know where best to place you. But the Lord fearfully and wonderfully made you. Your frame was never hidden from him. He saw your unformed substance and intricately wove you together while you were in your mother's womb. He knows all about you and knows how to use you. Some of your bosses only care about the bottom line and can care less about your well-being. But the Bible says in Psalms 139 that the number of precious thoughts that the Lord has for you, for his, his servants, for his people, the number of precious thoughts cannot be numbered. They're more than the sand on the, the seashore. Some of you find yourselves managing up so much because your boss seems to not know what's going on. The Lord's wisdom is unsearchable. Some of you feel like your bosses underpay you. Not so with the Lord. He overpays all of his servants. He gives to them richly. And he gives them riches that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Incorruptible riches stored up in heaven for you. Some of your jobs and your bosses will throw you under the bus and hang you out to dry if you make a mistake. This master put himself under the bus and hung himself on a cross for his people's sins. Jesus, the master, the Lord, the second person of the Godhead, lived a perfect life and then gave up that life on the cross, taking the punishment of his sinful servants so that his sinful servants can be counted as holy saints. 
Then he rose from the dead with all authority, and now he is seated in heaven, ruling the world for his glory and for the good of his servants. If one of the reasons you're not a Christian today, we're glad you're here. If one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because you're frightened about the thought of making Jesus your master, listen, there is no better master than him. Listen to how I just described that master. All other masters fall extremely short, infinitely short of how he rules. Turn from living a life of trying to be your own master. Turn from being mastered by your sins, from being mastered by false gods, from being mastered by empty ideologies and philosophies. Turn from being mastered by Satan and and, and turn to Jesus and make him your master. He truly lives and reigns and rules, and he, he rules with gentleness and patience and kindness and love and loyalty. Giving your life to him would be the best thing you've ever done. Make Jesus your master. And there really is no other option. There's no other, other name under heaven by which a person can be saved. And you cannot have two masters. The Lord Jesus must be your only master and no one else. Any other master is insufficient to bring you to God. And every other master will drag you into hell for eternal punishment under the wrath of God. If you haven't done so, place your faith in Jesus and make him your Lord. He's a good ruler. And if you are a believer, purify yourselves and be holy so that you can be used by him. Now, when the Bible says cleanse yourself, you're probably thinking, oh, man, I got to close my Twitter account, my Facebook account, my Instagram. I can't watch The Voice. I got to clear my iTunes. I can't go to happy hour. I have to break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I got to move out of the house with my unsaved roommates. I have to smash my TV, throw out the video games, and the list go on and on and on about things that you, that first come to your head that you probably should do, (laughs) that you need to get rid of. And listen, listen, some of those actions might be correct. You might need to do those things, but that's not where you should begin. Look at verse 22. What does it mean to cleanse yourself? So, so this so connects back to the previous thought, and I was telling us how to do it. So, flee youthful passions. Stop right there. The text begins with, so flee youthful passions. The Lord knows that the problem is not mainly outside of us, but the problem is inside of us. It's our desires, our passions that that flow out of our heart, our hearts. Now, we aren't specifically told what what the youthful passions are, but given the context of Timothy, it's probably his desire, a desire to always win an argument or to get the last word, which can lead to being quarrelsome and to engage in long debates, which is what Paul told Timothy earlier to refrain from. But because the term is general, 
And because we are, in a way, all the Lord's servants, we can put any sinful passions here. The desire to fit in with the wrong crowd. The desire to get vengeance. The desire to be rich at all costs. The desire for someone else's goods or someone else's house or someone else's position. Loving this world. Loving yourself at the expense of God and his glory. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All of these are sinful passions. And he says, flee these youthful passions. Earlier, before our text, he says, depart from iniquity. And now he says, flee. You know, when a person flees, that means something is is after them. Something dangerous is after them. And Satan and his demons are are prowling around like a, like a lion looking for people to devour. Our sinful flesh still makes war with our spirits. There are true enemies of God who want to deter you from living a life that pleases the Lord. So because Satan and sin is in hot pursuit of us, desiring to trap us and to, and to, and to muddy up our, uh, how we live for the Lord, we must flee. We must run from those desires and we must run from everything that feeds those desires. So if happy hour feeds your desire for some sin, then you might have to flee it. If your unsaved roommates feeds a particular desire for sin, you might have to hand the keys and flee. If the computer or the internet or the iPhone or your Twitter account feeds any sinful desires within you, then you may have to, cl- you may have to close those accounts and flee. I was told of a, a, of a man who was a, a recovering alcoholic. And so in order for him to continue to walk in his new identity of being a child of God, whenever he went to a, a hotel, what he would do is he would st- strip himself of his clothes and give them to someone else. And he did that because he knew he would not run out at night while without any clothes on. And he did that, that literally he did that to keep himself in the doors. I was told of a person who a um, a, 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 a place that had naked people 
were, uh, had put up a big billboard sign promoting people to come to their location. And he uh, we used to drive that same route all the time, but he began to notice that, that those images were be- beginning to be impressed on his head and in his heart. And so he decided to drive a completely different route that took more time to get to work. Now, some of you all think, and the devil might have you think, or self-righteous Christians might have you think, oh, that's too much, or that's, that shows a lack of maturity. But to flee is actually a sign of maturity. It's a sign of growth. Don't get so down on yourself and saying, oh, man, I shouldn't be at the point where I have to, I can no longer have the internet. No, that's fine. That's good. That shows you're growing. Pursue holiness by fleeing sinful desires. Flee at all costs. But if we just flee, some of us will find ourselves locked in a room with the lights out with no communication with the outside world. But that's not the whole picture of pursuing holiness. The next part, look at the next part. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Stop right there. Cleansing ourselves is not just about emptying ourselves of filth, but it's also about filling ourselves up with what is good. It's not just stripping ourselves down of sinful thoughts and actions, but it's also clothing ourselves with righteousness, with faith, with love, and with peace. We aren't just running away from sinful passions, looking around every corner where wickedness might lurk and looking over our shoulders, we're actually running towards Christ-likeness with our eyes fixed on him. In all honesty, I think that that is why so many Christians feel like holiness is boring and, and why it's unfulfilling and then return so quickly to their sin because as they put off wickedness, they forget to actively pursue putting on godliness. And putting on godliness for the Christian is joyful and fulfilling. If you have truly been made new in Christ Jesus and have been given a brand new nature, these virtues, these righteousness, love, faithfulness, patience is, is now what brings you joy. C- Christian, can you recall the time in your life when you had the opportunity, you had the opportunity to commit one of those old sins that you used to always do, but then one day you decided not to do it because you wanted to, to walk in conformity to God's will. Do you remember that? How did you feel after you did it? Didn't it feel good? I had somebody recently who was like, 
yo, I didn't spaz out on my boss. And that's good. He felt good about it. That may seem like a low bar for people, <laughs> but that's holiness. That's the, the, that's the, we, we, we receive joy when we begin to obey the Lord. Because that's our new nature. How did you feel when you decided to put your complete trust in God and, and, you, and you walked out in faith, not worried about the outcome? At that moment, didn't you feel like you were living on purpose? Doing something you, were, you know God wanted you to do? That's because these are things that are according to our new nature. This is what now satisfies us. Righteousness is, is living according to God's word. Faith is, is, is a life trusting in God's word. And love is when we affectionately give up ourselves for others and for God according to his word. And peace is when we try to end strife and to help others end strife in a way that's in accordance to God's word. That is pursuing we should pursue all of those things as we pursue holiness. And as we do that, it will bring us so much joy, so much satisfaction, and it will bring God so much glory. But pursuing these things, it's not easy. We got real enemies in the world. That's why we need help. Look at the rest of that verse. He says, do it along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Do it along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Another reason why so many Christians quickly turn back to their sin and, and give up pursuing holiness is because they try to cleanse themselves by themselves. And that's not how the Bible envisioned it. The fight for purity is to be done amongst a local body of believers who are also saved and who are also seeking to live a pure life. It's to be done amongst people who call on the name of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, just listen as I read, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It says exhort one another every day, so that with the goal of, for the purpose of, you are each other not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which means if you're not being encouraged by another person daily, you are more susceptible to being deceived by sin. When we see the early, when we see the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, gathering together around the word and breaking bread in each other's homes, that's not just a good idea. That's necessary for holiness. It's necessary. And even that's not easy. And that's not easy because some of y'all is just annoying. 
it's not easy because we have different backgrounds and contrasting personalities. But listen to what Tim Chester said in his book, You Can Change. He says, God is using different people, the contrasting personalities in your church to change your heart. He's using the difficult people like Edward, the annoying people, the sinful people. He's placed you together with them so you can rub off each other's rough edges. It's as if God has put us like rocks into a bag and is shaking us about so that we collide with one another. Sometimes sparks fly, but gradually we become beautiful, smooth gems. Remember the next time someone is rubbing you you the wrong way. That is God smoothing you down. God has given you that person in his love as a gift to make you holy, end quote. Holiness is a community project. And in his wisdom and love, he's placed all of you here with your different backgrounds, personalities, the way you speak, the way you think, the people you vote for, the way you look. He's placed you all in the same body on purpose for your holiness on purpose for your holiness. Don't lose that thought as you all fellowship with one another. You need one another to grow in holiness. You got to speak to one another in truth and live with one another. But notice it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't stop here. Look at verse 23. He's going to give us some more things not to do and some things to do. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Stop there. Here again, Paul begins with something Timothy is supposed to flee and then what he's supposed to follow, what he's supposed to do. He's supposed, he's supposed to flee being quarrelsome. He isn't supposed to be a person that loves to argue and to get into debates, arguing for the sake of arguments. He's not supposed to engage foolish controversies because foolish controversies tend to go nowhere because they're foolish. Sometimes the best way to stop a foolish controversy is to just say, that's foolish. It's hard to reason with foolishness. Sometimes you've got to call it foolishness. And sometimes you've got to just step away. So he says, don't argue about foolish controversies and ignorant controversies with foolish people. They only breed more arguing. But instead... This is what you do. This is what you flee to. This is what you pursue. Be kind to everyone. Able to teach. 
patiently enduring, correcting his opponents with gentleness. In other words, the Lord's servant must be humble. It's the humble person that is kind to everyone because they put everyone else's needs above their own. It's a humble person that patiently endures evil because they don't put any honor in their own name. They understand that they are unworthy and they only boast in in the cross and in what Jesus has done. And so slandering their name is a lot, their humility and putting themselves under the, the cross of Christ allows them to be slandered. Gives them the patience to endure. And it's the humble person that corrects his, oppo- his opponents with gentleness because they also know that they too are sinners. And that they are able to fall into the same traps as other people. The person who wishes to cleanse themselves must not be quarrelsome, but they must pursue humility. And humility is not at the expense of truth. He still tells Timothy that he has to teach. And so even in humility, we still must be true to what the Bible has said and be gracious with our words and still share with ourselves and with others. That's a part of growing in holiness. To live a holy life of righteousness, faith, love, peace, patience, and humility is, in a sense, wise and practical. People who are righteous, according to God's word, and live with equity and fairness, most often will be appreciated by people, by others. Most people appreciate a person who is peaceful and who is humble. Who isn't attracted to a person that is loving? In a sense, it is really practical and wise and helpful to live a holy life. But listen, the power is not in it being practical. The power of a holy life is found in the truth that God uses the one who is holy. That he is a ready vessel And look at what he would be ready for. Look at an honorable task. Look at verse 25 and 26. The end of 25 going into 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you know how many people in the world are lost in their sin, in the bondage to Satan and are captured to do his will? Do you know how many people have been deceived by, the, by their own lusts, deceived by their lifestyles and, and don't know that their lifestyles are, may lead them into eternal torment? I know that people make sinful choices and that because of Wicked actions, people deserve God's punishment. I know that some of the wicked choices that people have made have affected your life. But without losing your sense of justice, keep your eyes of compassion. The world has been blinded by Satan 
It has been deceived by the devil. They have been fatally bit by the serpent, and they are out of their minds and out of their senses. They are lost, and they are dead. But they're not so dead that the Lord can't save. They're not so dead the Lord can't save. About once a week, my, a few men from our church get together, and we have a Bible study, and and we usually meet from about 8 to 9 p.m. to study and pray. But, but this past Wednesday, after I met with your pastors, um, I decided for us to meet a little earlier. That They came to my house at about 7.15. We read uh, the first couple chapters of Lamentations. We prayed, and then we headed out. They wondered where we were going. I told them that I was taking them to a vigil in, in a neighborhood very close to Lincoln Heights. There had been a, a double homicide. And that night, they were having a candlelight vigil for the people that were murdered. And with our minds set on lamentations and, and the glimmer of hope that God gave Israel in the midst of their destructions, we prayed as we rode in the van. And we prayed as we walked up to the vigil. And in the middle of the crowd, the names of the two people murdered were written in candles lying on the concrete. A few people wore T-shirts with, their, with the individual's names on them. And, 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 and faces on them. Teddy bears were placed around the a pole and people were mourning. I overheard some people talking about retaliation. Some were calling for peace. Some told people to turn to Jesus. The scene was heavy. It had, it's not the first visual I've been to. I've, 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 had to, I've had to actually had to conduct a vigil for a person who had been murdered in Lincoln Heights. But, and I left thinking, Lord, I want to be useful. Lord, can you use me? Is it possible for someone like me to be used in a context like that? Can the Lord use a, a small 13-member church a plant in Lincoln Heights to reach this community, and the nations for the gospel? Can the master of the house use sojourn to save hundreds of people in Fairfax and thousands around the world? Can the Lord use you to help heal your fellow church members from loneliness, from despair, from depression, from drug abuse? Can the Lord use you to Call your wayward children back home. Yes. Anyone, anyone can be used for every good work if they cleanse themselves and commit themselves to holiness. When we pursue holiness, we make ourselves ready to be used by God. The master of the house seeks to use holy instruments to do his holy will. The devil's trap is not so strong that the omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe cannot overcome it. God may grant people repentance. He may give them spiritual eyes to see the error of their ways so that they will turn from their sin and turn to the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
God may remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they will receive the gospel of Jesus with joy. God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And listen, he may and he can use you. We don't know what God is going to do in this area in our lifetime. We don't know who God is going to save before he returns. But Paul Paul goes on to tell Timothy that the world isn't going to get better because it's going to get worse and that people were going to actually start to love themselves and not want to hear his teaching. But if the Lord does decide to save people, and if he does decide to bring a a revival in Lincoln Heights or in Fairfax, don't you want to be ready for him to use you? Don't you want to be ready to be used to save your child or to build your fellow church member up to the glory of Jesus Christ? If you do, be holy and be humble. Seek to cleanse yourself and be a ready instrument for the Lord. Pray over these virtues. Ask the Lord to to help you to grow in them. Study your Bible and, and look at how the Lord wants you to live out these virtues. Live them out amongst one another and then begin to practice them. Your sanctification, your growth in holiness will be a lot of, will involve a lot of confessing your sins. And it's going to be like that until you reach glory. But that's okay. That's a part of the Christian life. Continue to confess your sins and continue to practice holiness. And then keep your eyes set on glory because there will be a day when you will be holy, when you will be glorified, and when you will look like Jesus and you, when you will be with him forever. Set, our hope, set your hope on that day and continue to pursue him. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you that you have given us every resource necessary to grow in our holiness. You've made us like, you've made us, you've given us a new nature. You've given us your spirit. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Lord God, help us to pursue holiness with the strength and with the grace that you have given us. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.